0: This placement of hope is very, very specific. And so we can go back to verses 6 and 7 in 1 Peter 1. So look back a few verses with me and understand this hope that is to be placed. Verse 6, in this, I better go back even to 5 just for context, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This hope, critical, get this, this hope is you seeing your Savior face to face. This hope is that time where Christ comes, meets you in the clouds, and thus you shall always be with the Lord. That is the revelation of this hope. That is the context that He is talking about. Why is this such a big deal? Because this is our day of reckoning. This is our moment of accountability. Take a look at 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10. And I've written these down on your handout so you can look later. You can pour over them. Maybe you want to spend some of your 20 minutes on these verses. 2 Corinthians 5.10 reminds us, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. This hope that we are to place is the understanding, the promise, the reality that I will stand before Jesus Christ, the searcher of all hearts, and I will give account of how this time on earth was spent. Now we're not talking about penalty of your sin. For the believer, that's taken care of. We know that for those of us that have received the gift of salvation from God, we know that Jesus Christ, fully God, became fully man. We know that he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and he willingly went to the cross, died on that cross, shed his blood to pay for your sins, to pay for my sins. He rose again to stamp it as authentic and done, and now we celebrate that our sins are paid for. John 1 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. When I receive Christ as my Savior, the payment and suffering for that sin is done. So what's this all about? This is about when I know Christ, when I'm called to live for Christ, I'm going to give an account for how I did that. What's the good, the bad, and the ugly that's getting in the way of me living for Christ? Get it out of the way, because I will stand before my Savior and give an account. Second Timothy 4.8, Paul talks about this. He says, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And this prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. This is the hope. My mind, my motivation, my focus is the day I come face to face with the Savior. Anything else pales in comparison to that time of account. And the approval of my boss and the... Uh, approval of my friends and the uh, approval of my children all down here compared to the ultimate importance of standing before Christ and giving an account. We don't think that way. It's time to think that way. That is the hope of your calling. That is the message of placing our hope fully on this day. Now we sang another song, Perfect. That we'll look forward to casting our crowns at the feet of Jesus. Revelation 4.10, check that out. Casting our crowns. Where do those crowns come from? I believe those are the crowns from 2 Timothy 4. That as I work my tail off here with my sole focus to please the Lord Jesus, to get ready for that day where I see him, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want him to give me crowns as reward, And then I want to take those crowns and at the right time I want to have an extra boost of worship as I cast those crowns at the feet of Jesus. For eternity, people. For eternity. Place our focus. That's what it's all about. 100%. We need to place our hope on that moment of seeing our Savior face to face. The second point of that is fully, fully place our hope. Are we in? This was written to persecuted Christians, right? Something about persecution. I'm not convinced yet that persecution makes people live more for the Lord. I feel like it's more of a filter. I feel like persecution shows where people are really at. When you're being persecuted, when your life is being threatened, I don't think you're kind of Uh, One foot in, one foot out, right? You're in or you're out. And when you're in, you're going to suffer for the Lord. You might give your life for the Lord, but you are in. We're very blessed. I say blessed that we're not going through this life-threatening persecution right now. I think that's even more of an opportunity. I think that's even more of an opportunity to say, even though my life isn't depending on it yet, I am fully in. I am locked in. I am fully dedicated to the work of the Lord. Everything I do can be done for God's glory if I am fully in. Ocean's 11 years old. George Clooney says to young Matt Damon, you lose focus for one minute, you're dead. We can't lose focus even for one minute. We need to be locked in to seeing the Lord Jesus face-to-face, giving an account. Are we going to be ready? Are we going to be the bride ready for his groom? Are we going to be the church ready to give an account and to celebrate well-done, good, and faithful servants? That's what it's about. That's the hope fully placed. So with that in mind, we get to the command, live holy. Live holy. And you can see that. We'll we'll look at uh, verse 14 through 16 to pick up this idea. Once we've gotten ready, once we've fully placed our hope... Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. We are called to holiness. Now, in the spirit of all in or all out, you need to know that holiness is not a gradual gradient. Holiness is absolute. Compromise is not part of holiness. My holiness needs to be fully placed. And I'm excited because there's there's lots of different descriptions of being set apart in the Word of God. But this description is, is a hagios. Now, I say that word for one reason only. My friend Joel hates it when I pronounce the Greek. He said, why does anyone even need to pronounce the Greek? Just tell us what the Greek means, but don't pronounce it. Hagios, Joel. Make sure you tell Joel he needs to listen to the message. He's the star of it. But this word, Hagios, this word refers more to this sacred, consecrated holiness. This is a special holiness. This is a special connection with a holy God. There's other points in scriptures like 2 Corinthians 6 where God says, come apart and be separate. Come apart and be separate, right? And the context there is separate from the world, separate from sin, separate from the the, uh, unholy things going around us. This focus is a special connection with God, that this holiness is a high calling of being sacred, being pure, being brought to the presence of God through my character matching His. it's no, It doesn't lower the standard at all, but it makes it a very intimate bonding thing with the God of the universe, that when I can join Him in this holiness, it becomes very, very special, very connected with God Almighty. It's powerful. It's powerful. But make no mistake... Separate from sin Consecrated to God Is an all-inclusive lifestyle I cannot have My pet sins over here Like gluttony And gossip Can't happen Complaining And live a holy life I can't have the acceptable sins Over in the corner And have a holy life It can't happen My conduct, my life, your life, your conduct needs to be fully dedicated to the purity and obedience to the word of God. Now this has a contrast. It starts out the verse with a contrast in verse 14. Look at it. As obedient children, not conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. We have a contrast here. We have a contrast of the old way we lived. Now, of course, this is referring primarily to before we knew the Lord as our Savior. And some of you, not fondly, can think back about what your lifestyle was like before knowing Christ, right? But do you want to hear something I'm ashamed of? I don't have to look very far back to see the conduct of my former ignorance, I was formerly ignorant yesterday when I allowed myself to be crabby. I was formerly ignorant four days ago when I ate way more than I knew God would want me to eat. See where we're going with this? We don't have to look back far to realize that our former conduct tends to follow us and tends to repeat and we tend to continue on. God says no more. God says you are clean, you are different, you are saved. Step up, step forward. I'm so excited. We're going to be celebrating, and I I hope we'll get to share more with you, but there's going to be a celebration of a one-year landmark coming up of a dear part of our family. And I'm so excited because this is a a monumental shift from a lifestyle of uh, slavery to sin to turning from that sin and seeking to embrace the holy way of living. And I'm excited for us as a church to celebrate that. Let's be ready to celebrate one another's holiness. Let's be ready to step forward and say, you know what? The time of compromising is over. Because I'm focused on this hope, because I know that my righteous living depends on the reaction I'll get from Christ when I see him, I need to be fully holy, consecrated, pure in all that I do. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 7 through 10 reminds us of some of these former lusts, these former ways of living. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Some of you, like me, as we look back, some not too far, some farther, we can be tempted to be really held bondage with that guilt, right? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You come here. If you've confessed the sins that we're guilty of from the past, you come here clean, clean. A new start. Guilt of the past is just a terrible way to get distracted from living holy going forward. It's not needed. Learn from my mistakes, turn from my sin, confess my sin, and then it's done. And now I move forward with a wholehearted devotion to living for God. I know that some of us get tripped up by that. Not everyone's a meathead like me that just can move on from my mistakes and okay, I'll fail forward. Let's go on to the next. Some of you are real burdened by the mistakes you've made in the past. Leave them at the foot of the cross. You were washed. You were sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. If it's good enough for the Lord that you leave him at the cross, it has to be good enough for us. Today is a fresh start. Placing our hope on the Lord Jesus, seeing him face to face, giving an account, living holy, pure, sanctified, consecrated lives for the Lord. See the difference? It's time. This is a call to action. We need to be ready. We need to move forward. Number three, this holiness is rooted in God's character. This is about who he is. And he says it, I love it, they quote Leviticus right there in the middle of 1 Peter 1. As it is written, be holy as I am holy, God says. Be holy as I am holy. If you have any question of what the holiness needs to look like, it's the character and the work of the Lord Jesus. When I spend my 20 minutes daily pouring over the scriptures, looking for God's truth, maybe I want to focus on the life of Christ. Because you're going to see a holy way to live. You're going to see a holy way to respond. His disciples say really stupid stuff. Just like your kids say really stupid stuff. And you're going to see how he reacts. You're going to see his firmness, but his patience and his love... You're going to see him betrayed by the people that he loves the most. You've been betrayed. You've been hurt by the people that you love the most. And you're going to see him forgive and move on and reinstate these loved ones to happy fellowship with himself. See where we're going with this? The person and work of Jesus Christ, his character, how he lived, we can imitate that. Because of the Holy Spirit living in all of you who know Christ as your Savior, you have what it takes. 2 Peter 1, you have all that you need for life and godliness. Will we tap into it? Will we take advantage of it? That's the holy living that's rooted in God's character and his holiness. Every time I read the word, I want to be looking, Okay, God, show me yourself. Show me about yourself. And that's my pattern. That's my pattern. God is long-suffering. KT needs to be long-suffering. God is forgiving. You need to be forgiving. powerful model that God lays out for us. Christy just finished a book. She'd love to tell you about it. Ask her about it. And one of the things he really emphasizes, again, you've heard me talk about, this concept of abiding. Abiding. And he tells the story of this old burly police captain. This young guy was assigned to this police captain when he joined the force. And the police captain was not a nice man. And he said, you just abide. You just abide. Well, what did that mean? That means you. when I go here, you go here. When I do this, you do this. When I say this, you listen. And it was rough and tough, very much different. But the message was clear. Stick here, young guy. Go where I go. Learn what I do. Listen to what I say. Repeat what I talk about. And in a loving, kind way, that's our privilege here with Jesus Christ. He's not burly. He's not gruff. He's not rude. But he says, just stick with me. You don't have to have all the answers of how to act right now. You don't have to have all the words to say, just stick with me. When the storms rage and just stick with me. Just stick with me. And so abide, follow Christ, stick at his side, listen to him, soak in his word. The character of God, of Christ, can guide our holiness. Our third commandment, those two were easy, right? Let's get to the third one. Maybe this will get a little challenging. They're all challenging. Conduct yourself in fear, verse 17 says. Verse 17 says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are not ransomed with corruptible. Conduct yourselves with fear. Now, I wrestled with this one over the weeks here because the title of Christie's book was Fearless. So what is this talking about, conducting myself in fear? Well, we know that the scripture says that we are to have reverent fear for God. Do you sense the confusion? Do you sense the, uh, wait, wait now? Proverbs. Proverbs remind us, 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. I thought I wasn't supposed to be afraid. And I think the reality of this is we need to to fear and respect Almighty God. But we don't need to fear things that He's told us not to. See the difference with that? My fear is not usually focused on, okay, God is holy. He is a consuming fire. I am motivated highly to live a holy life. My fear is... Did God really say I don't need to worry? Well, I'm afraid of something out there, so I'm going to worry. And so I'd urge you... To try and understand the difference, understand the, the the righteous, holy fear of God versus being afraid of these other distractions out here. Here's an illustration. I hope it helps. It helped me. There was a preacher. He went to a, a home of a man to visit him, and he and the preacher took his eight-year-old son. When the preacher and the eight-year-old got there, there was a massive dog. I mean, this eight-year-old stood, and the dog was looking eye to eye with him. Huge beast of a dog. But he was so gentle, and the boy and the dog had fun playing. He would pet the dog. He'd even lay down with his head on the side of the dog. It was beautiful. At one point in this long visit, the preacher said, Son, run to the car. I forgot the book I wanted to show Mr. Jones. And so the son starts running, and he hears running behind him. He stops and turns around. The dog is looking at him with a low growl. And Mr. Jones says, Son, you might want to walk. He doesn't like it when people run away from him. And the preacher said, what an example, what a picture of Almighty God. God does not like it when we run away from him. God does not like it when we turn off the path of his righteousness. He's gentle and loving. But when we turn against the path he would have, there's a growl there and there's discipline there. And understanding that can be tough, right? Search it out. Seek the scriptures. But the bottom line is you do not want to mess with an angry God. He loves you. And because He loves you, He will discipline you. And so we can look at Revelation 3.19. Revelation 3.19, Jesus Himself says, Those whom I love... I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Hebrews 12, circle that one. The whole chapter is about the loving discipline of Almighty God. And what's the last verse of Hebrew 12? For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. My unholiness is hated by God. I am loved, my sin is hated. And He will discipline, He will chastise, He will do what it takes to get me back on the path that He would have me go. I quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 to my kids so much they say, Dad, what's the next verse? We got it. We got it. But Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Beautiful, right? Now skip down to verse 11 and 12 of Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Part of this making the path straight, part of this trusting in the Lord and him directing my way, is discipline is the growling dog, is the angry God against my sin, against my disobedience. Hebrews 11.7, I think, explains it pretty well with Noah. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah in holy fear. Now think about this for a minute. What did Noah, what was the holy fear? The holy fear was A, to realize if I don't obey God, I'm going to drown with my family and with the rest of these people. If I don't obey God, I am offending a holy, consuming fire God. Those were both righteous fear. An example, do you jump into the lion's den at the zoo? I hope not. I hope you fear the fierce lion that will tear you to shreds, right? Noah with holy fear. Now, what was the key? The key was he placed the holy fear above the others. What did Noah have to fear by building an ark? Well, ridicule. Do you like to be laughed at? It's amazing what we do to avoid being laughed at. Do you think the the other burly men of the time would be thrilled what Noah was doing? Do you think his life could have been threatened? Absolutely. Do you think the authorities of the time could have tried to detain him and lock him up for disturbing the peace of building such a monstrosity to block out the sun? Absolutely. Do you think thieves could have come and stolen all these materials? Absolutely. There are plenty of other reasons to be afraid, and Noah said no. Not going to fear any of those things because I'm going to have holy fear, holy reverence. I'm going to fear what God tells me to fear, disobeying almighty God. I'm going to fear the judgment that God is going to pour out on the earth with this flood. And I'm going to obey God to miss that judgment. See the difference? Wrestle with it. I don't claim to be explaining it real well. Wrestle with it. Understand it. Seek that God would give you this holy fear. Because First Peter 1 says, conduct yourselves in this holy fear. There is an element of care that I need to step through this world with, seeking to honor the roaring lion that is our Father and and Savior in heaven. Mike Eels would want me to insert the example of Aslan at this point. As the beaver said, Aslan is not safe, but he is good. We have a good, loving God, but He is not safe. He is a consuming fire. I don't want to mess with Him. As the favorite movie we quote is, don't fuss with me, Almighty God would say. So three commands. Place my hope. Look to when the Lord Jesus will be face to face in that wonderful moment where I seek to hear good and faithful, well done, good and faithful servant. Live holy. Put away the garbage of the life that I had before that I carried out even as of yesterday in ways. Leave that in the past. Seek holy, righteous, pure, consecrated living. And then conduct myself in fear, a holy, reverent fear to know that our God is a consuming fire. Don't fuss with Almighty God. And then we wrap it up with some more motivation. And in two minutes, I wrap this up with you. Seek this as well. Verses 18 through 24. We sang about these. We celebrated these. You were knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. An entire sermon on these verses, right? I'll leave you with two thoughts. You were saved from an empty life. You were saved from an empty life. We are far too satisfied to wallow in the mud in the backyard of our former way of living instead of enjoying the holiday at the beach that God has for us. And this reminds us that your former way of life was empty. You've been saved from that. And then two, the precious price paid. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, we, we respect value when something is very expensive. Aaron and I love to watch a crazy movie and, and, uh, he loses this doll, this ugly doll, that was worth $273,000 because of how uh, rare it was. And so they go through all these funny things to get this ugly doll back. Why? Because it's valuable, it has incredible worth, 273000 right? If you stood at the foot of the cross, I'm certain that as that precious blood poured out, you would not be thinking beauty. You would not be thinking, oh, this is wonderful, this was the greatest injustice of all time. This was evil, what was happening. And yet the Lord Jesus exploits that terrible, ugly, disgusting thing so that that blood that flowed is a precious, precious, valuable commodity, a, a, a beautiful, a beautiful price paid, unmatched price paid to ransom your soul, to save you from your sin. And so that valuable price that we're going to celebrate next, next meeting for For a good amount of time, remembering the the body of Jesus Christ broken, the blood of the Lord Jesus spilt. Enormous value. That's the precious blood that you were redeemed with. You've had enormous price paid for you to live a holy life focused on the Lord Jesus. It's time. It's time. Father, we turn to you, depending on you, to help us to live this out. We want to place our hope fully. On the grace that you would have us do that moment when we'll see our Savior face to face. We want to live holy. And we want reverent fear. We want to honor you for the holy, consuming fire that you are. Help us to do this, please. Help us to wake up. Help us to realize that the time is now. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name.